Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Book Riot Podcast. Trying to do Jeff Proud with the introduction while he's out this week. I am Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here with Vanessa Diaz. And this is a podcast about things that happen in the world of books and reading. Some of them are new. Some of them are cool. We think all of them are worth talking about. And that's where we are. You did it's good. It's August 20th. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very used to hearing that. And here are the wonderful books and reading. Like it's, it's strange to hear it in a non-Jeffy voice. <laughs> I know. I always feel weird doing it. Um, even though, yeah, we switch off sometimes. Yeah. But here we are. I'm in charge, and it's been kind of a quiet week, news-wise. So we're going to do some catch-up. We're going to do some Ask Vanessa What She's Been Reading, and then we'll talk about the news of the week. But first, let's get into our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high-stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. All right. Well, on last week's 
Oh, you know what? This is going to be a preview, actually. Jeff and I recorded a bonus episode last week about some of the favorite things that we've read recently, um, our own summer reading highlights, not necessarily new books, and it will come out on Wednesday. Um, after you all hear this episode, I'm realizing live as we're doing this, but Vanessa, <laughs> while you're here and you read a lot of things, uh, I thought that I would ask you what you've been reading lately that you've really been into or want to recommend? I have absolutely been diving 100% into that escapist thing, which obviously looks different for different people. But for me, that tends lately, I'd say maybe in the last year has finally become romance. And then so on that kick, I have finished a lot of good things, but I cannot stop raving about the new Alexis Hall boyfriend material. It is really great on audio. It is sort of a story of this guy who is like the the son of two ex like 80s rock stars. The mom is French and the dad is English. And he's basically always lived in like that weird limelight and, you know, turns up in like the tabloids and stuff and the parents are divorced. (laughs) The dad is like trying to do a comeback. And that means that like this 20 something year old guy is like now in the limelight again. And He is gay, and it's also just like a mess, like a little bit of a mess. (laughs) And the reason that's a problem is because he works for this charity that is like, hey, you'd like need to get your act together because you keep being photographed like in an interesting situation. So like, why don't you go get like a fake boyfriend or something that could clean up your image, (laughs) which is, you know, a great plan. Um, So that is essentially what he does. Like he knows of a guy through like his like network of friends that people have been wanting to set him up with for a long time. But he thinks the guy is like stuck up and he's like this attorney dude. And anyway, they do end up agreeing. And this guy, he's super like shocked when the guy agrees. But for his own reasons, is like, yeah, I kind of need somebody to like clean up my image in a different way. So like, why don't we fake date? And, you know, so it's a fake dating trope. It's very English in so many ways. The audiobook is so fantastic. I need to find me like a hetero version of the love interest. Something about that guy's like voice and general swag. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I can get in on that. But it's just like really, really pleasing. Like they, the, the love interest for the most part has like his stuff together and they have really good communication, which was like so nice to read about, even though our main character is a mess and he has to like share his feelings. So that was not a very short pitch, but um, as far as being just some excellent romance, that is... It was so much fun. And my first Alexis Hall. So that's that's one. That was a successful pitch because I wrote it down on my list of things to buy. As it's you so learned. good. I loved it. I love a man. I love a fake dating trope. Like it's probably because I watched Can't Buy Me Love way too many times as a child. <laughs> that's like a perfect comp. No, it's really I think you'll enjoy it. It's really, really fun. I loved their scenes. And then if I'm allowed to give a second one, just because I really can't stop raving about this one, it's not underrated by any means, but please, please, please go read Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. I think she's just hit her stride. First of all, I really do feel that this lady wakes up and throws a dartboard at a genre roulette board and is like, "Ah, today I will write a (laughs) a gothic novel. And then next week she's writing like a thriller based in Ensenada. Like she's... She's just so talented and she really upends the gothic thing by setting it in this like mm. mountain hill like hillside town in Mexico that was once a mining village and the body horror like I don't want to tell you too much about it the gist is basically just that she gets a letter from her newlywed cousin it's very cryptic and it essentially is like a cry for help like someone come save me so she who is a bit of a socialite 
she makes the trek from Mexico City, from, you know, the EFE to this place in Hidalgo and encounters this, like, very creepy British-style, like, gothic, like, mansion that they had built specifically. It's like there's a whole history to this town that's a real thing that you should look up of the when, you know, the, the English came over here and, like, built their own little mining town here and, like, the horrors, horrors that happened therein. But within this narrative that you get to know the main character and she's trying to figure out like what's going with her cousin. Her husband is telling her that like, it's all in her head that she has tuberculosis and that's why she's reaching out to her. And then weird stuff starts happening. You will never eat mushrooms again. Uh, (laughs) I won't. (laughs) I mean, maybe I will, but like legit, I text Jamie and I think uh, Sharifa both at the same time. It was just like, no one warned me about the mushrooms. Like why didn't someone tell me about the mushrooms? So anyway, I'm so scared of what that could be. You you won't see it coming. And there's just other, yeah, it's just, it's, was she, I love a good gothic, but I don't think I've ever read anything that was quite like this. And by just this like Latina powerhouse, who I think really, really has finally gotten to the point where people are giving her the attention. She's sort of long deserved. So I, I, yeah, Mexican Gothic has been everywhere. It's so good. It's so good. And she's been good. You know, I loved her in Gods of Jade mm-hmm. and Shadow, Signal to Noise and certain dark things. So she's got, she's got a bench, but this is for whatever reason, the book that people are finally like, oh, okay. So yeah, do it. It's good. I love to see those super rare authors who can do that dartboard genre situation. Of like, like how? And, like, yeah. and then you never know what they're going to do nope. next, which is great. Like, I love an author who's super reliable and you just know what you're going to get when you pick up a book by them. But I really, really love like those ones that kind of are impossible to pitch when you're a bookseller where it's like, OK, no. None of their books are the same, but they're all really great. So what's your vibe today? So do you like vampires in Mexico City and then like Jazz Age Mexico and then sharks with murder? <laughs> like th- Those are the some of the three top. I mean, you know, very reductively in short, but like some of the topics yeah. of her last three books. Like, I mean, cool. I think I'm going to have to go elsewhere on her bench because I was out at body horror. Yeah. And I will <laughs> so. say I'm not usually a body horror. Like I usually can't take it. I don't know if it's because it happened so slowly that all of a sudden I was just like, I was the frog in the like mm. water thing where I was like, oh, no. I oh, And it, uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's hard to put down. It's really good. Oh, you got frog boiled by a great book. I did really. It's it's disgusting, <laughs> but it's really good. It's really, really good. <laughs> you sound so delighted. It's, it's disgusting. <laughs> it's hard to like say that about a book that disgusted you that hard, but it's it's really smart. Like what she did to that was just like, Ugh, like, and there's a lot of commentary. So those are my two extremely non-concise pitches of some of the stuff I've been loving. Love a non-concise pitch and love all of those. <laughs> the eclectic energy. <laughs> of disgusting books. <laughs> We're off to a good start. <laughs> you, know, you mentioned uh, <laughs> things always go sideways in a really fun way when Jeff is gone. Yeah. It's like, this is what we did. You, You're welcome. You gave me the wheels to this ship. <laughs> the wheels right. to the ship. You like that? I, <laughs> wow. There's the show title. Oh, my gosh. I, oh, it's a long. This is my second podcast you know what, of the day. <laughs> It's not a Book Riot podcast if we don't mix some metaphors. So you're really just stepping into the Jeff shoes beautifully. I have arrived. 
<laughs> you know, you mentioned vampires. So I'm going to take that as a quick yeah. segue for a listener email that we got from Allison. Allison, thanks for writing in. Allison reminded us that what I was saying last week about Stephanie Meyer being lucky with having her book coming out in the middle of the pandemic and how people are, you know, like dying to read something that's just enjoyable and juicy and gossipy fun like the Twilight books are was just lucky and Allison pointed out to us that um, it seems like Stephanie Meyer has actually been sitting on part of Midnight Sun for years, and maybe Stephanie Meyer or the publisher or some combination thereof could have leapt at the chance to do this. And she gives the caveats here, like maybe it wasn't 100% finished, but it was like mostly finished for quite some time. Because a few years ago, when Stephanie Meyer was in the process of writing the book, some of the original draft was leaked online and it was widely read. And I do remember that. I'm pretty sure we talked about it on this very podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was so upset about having that leak that she said that she wasn't going to finish it or publish it. So Allison's theory, which I think holds some water, is that the book was either finished or mostly done for a while. And someone in the Stephanie Meyer or her publisher, I can't remember who publishes her right now, um, publisher camp was like, ooh, this is an opportunity. Uh, Like given how long it can take to design and print books, I don't know how like really possible that is, but we have seen publishers do like quickly produced drop-in titles. So it's not impossible, Allison. And I appreciate the note. Um, and if it wasn't just luck, then like, good job, Stephanie Meyer and your team, because it was very smart to give this book to people in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, I almost classify that either way and not in like a negative way towards the person who, Allison, I think, that, like you said, all her arguments mm-hmm. hold water, but I, I almost classify that either way as luck. Like, yeah. either you, like you said, because the publishing machine is not generally a very quick one, then that was just mm-hmm. luck that you decided to drop it in and it happened to land in the middle of all this mess or the other way around where like the mess happened. You were like, ah, I have a thing. Like either way, that's, I mean, it's lucky is a weird thing to say about what we're going through, but either way it was a bit of a stroke of luck. If we want to call it that, that it happened this way. And I mean, good for her. Like I am a unapologetic. Like I, I loved the stupid, you know, Twilight books when I first read them. So I don't care. Like, I, yeah, Hannah and I uh, yeah. on the Book Riot team have plans to rent out the Twilight house at some point because oh. that is a thing you can do in Washington. That's, yeah, that's not that far from y'all. It really isn't. And it will be on the gram this at is... some point. So yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I'm very excited for that. This is completely unrelated to this show other than being Twilight adjacent. But did you see the tweet thread recently from the woman who like she and her very new husband were on their honeymoon and they were in Forks or like some other place in Washington that features in the Twilight books where Bella and what's his face go on their first date. But they were like just stopping and she and her husband were just like stopping in the town on their honeymoon and just like people asked them questions that they didn't understand (laughs) the whole time and then they like happened to be able to get a reservation at the restaurant where they yeah where they go on the first date and when (laughs) this is the best when the server brought the menus to them they were like oh, well, and you'll obviously be having the blah, 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 whatever the dish was. And she was like, no, I want this other thing. Like, why are you they start playing Claire what, de Lune in the background? Right, like, oh, like what food I'm going to have. And then the server turns to her husband and is like, and you won't be, you like, you won't be eating, correct? And he was like, no, um, I want the spaghetti like or whatever. And... <laughs> 
can't like it turns they find out at some course like at some point during this meal that they are surrounded by people who are basically like cosplaying Bella oh and Edward's God, you know, first date Angelus and or whatever like, it's called oh my yes gosh. yeah and that like no one goes to this restaurant just to have dinner and of course Edward is a vampire and doesn't eat food yep. so like these people are go on dates to this place where all of the women order the thing Bella ate and all the men sit there and watch them eat. Talk about Twilight Zone. If you really didn't know what was happening, that had to be weird as hell. Like, yeah. why are the other guys it's eating such... here? I don't get it. I will see if I can find Please that do. Twitter thread. It was so funny. I read it, like, you know, one of those things that just popped up a week or so ago that I was like, oh, that would be, it would just be so uncanny and strange. You'd be like, why are they asking us these questions? I don't know what's, like, why do they... better there. Like, like, you didn't know, like, are you cooler because you didn't know, or am I the nerd that I've been like, yes, please, I will have all of that. <laughs> yeah, she, and I think it was, like, when the books were a big deal, but maybe the movies sure. hadn't come out yet, so, like, it still wasn't, like, people, it like, when it was possible to be unaware yeah. of Twilight. <laughs> I... My one last tangent before we really do dive into the rest is that back before pandemic times, I was hanging out with our managing editor, Sharifa, and we were going to, I forget where, like a wine bar or something, but she picked me up and like drove me there. And so she, you know, we're talking and then I'm like, why are you listening to the Twilight soundtrack? And she looks at me like I'm out of my GD mind and is like, this is the classical music station. I was like... Oh, well, this is Carter <laughs> Burwell, and this is Bella's... L- no? Okay, moving on. Like, I felt very sheepish, <laughs> but this is who I am. You know what, though? If you're going to make that kind of mistake, you're in the right place. I guess so. <laughs> she makes endless fun of me for it now, as she should, but it was great. That's really good. Uh, well, maybe you and Hannah can go on a date to that restaurant yep. and decide who has to <laughs> who's who bringing their own snacks to like eat clandestinely yeah let's let's make that happen <laughs> uh, well staying in the land of stephanie meyer yep. she is no dummy and after seeing midnight sun hit not just hit number one but sell Dude. more than a million copies in, in the first one week. week all million copies like, she might rival Michelle Obama for how popular her books are. Yeah, which is, wi- I mean, yeah. wild it's in a, a non-negative way. That is a category yeah. to be in. Yeah. Um, she's decided and announced this week that she will be writing two more Twilight books, two more stories set in that world. Um, and it sounds like a case of there are at least two more stories that I know I want to tell set in this world she probably um you know was making getting the deals done with her publisher um, as those you know million books were selling um make that cash Stephanie Meyer and that's all we know it does sound she's she's, sorry yeah no she's written one chapter so as a Twilight fan Vanessa (laughs) what do you want these two new books to be i have no clue what i do know and i can't remember if i read that one in the link you and i shared or if it's a different one but i did see that it a may take her a bit to like get back to it because it sounds like this Mm -hmm. last endeavor of like writing from edward's perspective was like particularly taxing um, which i guess it would be to like literally go back and like reimagine everything you've already written differently like and from this like tortured sparkly vampire perspective 
um, which is how I will always describe him. And so I don't know what I would want. I I don't necessarily, like, as much as I did have fun with the books at the time, I, A, don't know how I'll feel about them now. Um, I am probably going to go back and maybe read Midnight Sun just to say that I did. But uh, I don't know that I'm necessarily, like, diehard enough to, like, really want to hear the entire story from his perspective, like, all over again. Again, so I understand her like maybe not wanting to go there, and then you mm. you know could pick up with the like Renesme plotline. I think it's also going to be interesting to see how she handles this, considering that she has come under some you know more recent flack for her portrayal of like you know indigenous like First Nations people with uh, the what she does mm-hmm. with like you know Taylor Lautner Taylor Lautner that's the the actor but with uh, oh, Jacob's right. character yes. so I don't I don't know what I would want out of them to be honest I guess it's kind of going to be up to like whatever she gives me but I guess there are for some people the you know same way that 50 shades when EL James brought out what is it called like gray I think Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm necessarily that I have the bandwidth to like sit here and like re- completely rework, especially like New Moon, which is just like emo paradise. I I don't know. I don't I don't know if I'm ready <laughs> for all that. Like day one sad in Italy, day two sadder in Italy. Like, I don't know. I don't know that I'm there. <laughs> that could just be. I think me. that I'm gonna opt out of reading any of those and just ask you to describe them. That's to me. fine. I will live tweet them <laughs> with a drink in my hand. Something will happen. Before we get into more of the news, let's hit our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed, and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year, and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased more sus when he and Shuei barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eilin for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international bestselling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tommen series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsey Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tommen series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tear jerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. 
All right. Well, it wouldn't be a week in publishing if there wasn't some sort of Trump-related story. And the book news this week, I guess I'm happy, first of all, that it's not news about the president attempting to get a book to not be published. Uh, So... Bob Woodward, whose book Fear came out in 2018, uh, big investigative reporting about the Trump White House, um, has a follow up called Rage, which seems appropriate. Uh, and that will be coming out. Does it say? Mm. I am not sure that we I don't know. know that it did. I know we know. That. Oh, it arrives September 15th. Oh, shoot. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so that's coming up. And they do this with the Bob Woodward books. Yep. See, and a lot of the Trump books, it seems they just drop in very quickly. But Bob Woodward, uh, wanting to get the results of his investigation out there in campaign season, uh, this book will contain uh, interviews, as Bob Woodward's investigative reporting usually does, with folks who are connected to the administration, who have behind-the-scenes kinds of access. Um, Hundreds of hours of interviews with firsthand witnesses are going into RAGE. It also will contain notes, emails, diaries, calendars, and confidential documents from witnesses, as well as 25 personal letters that were exchanged between Trump and North Korea leader Kim Jong-un that have never before been public. Uh, Big deal there. Uh, And it will also explore Trump's response, if you can call it that, to the current pandemic, the related economic disaster. (laughs) uh, Situation. Yeah, situation uh, and the current uh, racial movement. Uh, So not a, it's not going to be a good look for Trump. Um, Bob Woodward dives deep and he gets the dirt. Uh, so I'm looking forward to what that will be. Once again, we're far enough into this. I don't have any hope that a new, like, investigative, objectively presented book about what's going on in that White House is going to change minds. But, like, maybe it could. And if nothing else, it's important to have all of these things documented. Yeah, when I so when I first saw the link to this in our agenda, it said, you know, Bob Warb mm-hmm. has another Trump book and then Rage in all caps. And because I had not clicked on it oh. yet, I literally thought it was like Rebecca's commentary being like, ah, <laughs> Rage. And I was like, but we we like Bob Woodward. And then we do, you know, but I almost understood the rage in the sense that so in the same link, we have actually two books you know, discuss mm-hmm. one being, you know, Bob Woodward's work of like incredible investigative journalism. And then the other being, you know, the Michael Cohen thing. And my reaction to all of these books coming out, it's like on the Bob Woodward side, like you said, I think it's important that this stuff is documented sort of just for posterity. It's important. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, it's like not just because something is bad, you, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't yeah, like continue to dive into it, even if we already know. But there is a huge part of me that's just like, I don't, I don't need to be convinced. I am, I am here, and that's the problem I have with the other book mentioned in this thing, and all those, mm-hmm. you know, books like that. Is I think you may have, you guys may have even mentioned this, or you all, sorry, on the last podcast that mm-hmm. I hate the incentive that that mm-hmm. seems to be giving to people in interesting situations, just like hold on to what they know to like make a book out of it. 
it's like I'm happy that Bob Woodward did this. I really am because I do think it needed to be done. But there is just this piece of me that is so like angry at the sky, like shaking my fists at nobody because he's doing all this incredible work for what I sometimes feel like people are just like like you you either at this point are on board or you're not <laughs> like ah right. Like, it's going to be a great historical document of course. for us to have. But I don't know that anybody's going to read and be like, oh, now, I, you know, right. never mind, pro-Biden. Like, I, I, so that's the part where I, I thank Bob Woodward for doing work that you just could not pay me enough to do. Mm-mm. It's important. It's good. I hope, like you said, even if it changes a few minds, I think that's probably something worth discussing and, and being out in the world. I just... Yeah, I'm totally in agreement with you about the Michael Cohen book. Like, there's the, I was behind the scenes and I saved the very damning stuff that could have made a a difference to, like, impeachment for my Mm -hmm. book and didn't tell the powers that be in time is a huge problem. And then there's, like, I think Cohen is doing some of that. And then there's also just this, like, sensationalized, gossipy Mm -hmm. thing that um, this piece from the Chicago Tribune even pulls quotes from the introduction to Uh. Cohen's book that says, it says stuff like... As anyone in law enforcement will tell you, it's only gangsters who can reveal the secrets of organized crime. And then, you know, if you want to know how the mob really works, you've got to talk to the bad guys. I was one of Trump's bad guys. Like, okay. okay. Yeah, like I, that's, I have nothing but angry voices for, (laughs) it's just so, I wouldn't feel better about it if he was somewhat humble. I mean, maybe I would. It wouldn't have been like, yo, you know, but the intro is just so gross and very like, yeah, like, oh, the gangsters. Like, sit down. Sit yeah, down. I was, it makes me wonder, really, like, who is the intended audience for the Michael mm-hmm. Cohen book? Because it's not people who are sitting in the place that we are politically. Like, that's not interesting. It's not political fence sitters, because it doesn't sound Mm -hmm. like Cohen is trying to be like, hey, Trump is a bad guy, and now I have reconsidered all of my political views, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like, is it really about it? Like, it's... Yeah, like, is the audience for this actually Trump admirers who want to, like, see how you get to be that kind of mob boss? I don't like it. Or is it no one? I'm not sure. And then the publisher, I think, is Skyhorse, which is just... It is. Out here being like, give us your your rich, emboldened, and hungry for power, man. Like, these these books that they're putting out are real special. (laughs) Ugh. Yeah, and I guess as a reminder then for folks oh, yes. who either didn't hear the previous episode, Skyhorse is also the publisher that picked up Woody Allen's memoir after Hachette faced public backlash and canceled it. Uh, so Skyhorse out here trying to make those dollars on stuff, gross books. <laughs> I just don't want to. <laughs> Making dollars on stuff, the story of publishing. Yeah, I just don't want to. Take your stuff. <laughs> Me no likey. Yeah, that's yeah. My very that's like political commentary. Mm-hmm. It's my response to most of 2020, honestly. Do <laughs> <laughs> me too, Rebecca. But yeah, go Bob Woodward. <laughs> you are uh, a gem in your industry in your field. And yeah, let us know, listeners. Um, will you be picking up the Bob Woodward, or like has your brain contained already all that it can about what's happening? in the world um are you interested podcast at bookriot.com moving on to i don't know other um giant structures that operate in disturbing mm-hmm. ways oh boy <laughs> uh yeah you want to tell us about what's happening with amazon 
Oh boy. So essentially they are, <laughs> how do I, how do I put this in like short? <laughs> They're being investigated. <laughs> I mean, for, for being giants that, you know, have leveraged their power at this point to like a, you know, where the, the competitive scene is not an even one. Um, I think it's three a different publishing I should have written all this down. Yeah. Hold on. I'm like searching is, for my notes. Yeah. It's the Association of American Publishers, Publishers the American Booksellers Association, and I think and the, the Authors Guild. Guild. There you go. Yep. And they have come together to say like, hey, this is, Amazon has gotten to the point where there is just, there's no, there's no level playing field. Like there, this cannot be a level playing field. They've gotten to the point where like none, none of this is transparent. It's not fair. And so they have laid out kind of a list of, what they would like to see happen in, you know, to, to make things quote unquote mm -hmm. more equitable. We can dive into them individually. I suppose the one that the one to me that has always been the most interesting as a, you know, former bookseller and non lover <laughs> of just how, <laughs> where they've gotten to at this point is not using loss leader pricing to harm mm -hmm. competition. So for, you know, I know we've probably discussed this on the podcast before, but for anybody who doesn't know, like the reason Amazon is able to do what it does is that it quite literally just sells books at a loss. Like they don't get priced that way magically. <laughs> There's not, you know, they get their books the same place, if you will, that anybody else does, but they sell them at this loss and are thus able to do everything else that they do. And that is just always going to take any bookseller, independent or not, kind of out the game. Mm -hmm. Like there's no, any bookseller can tell you how many thousands of times a day you get that question from someone who maybe doesn't know. Like, hey, did you know your book is selling for 30 bucks here when online it's like 10? It's like, yeah, we do. And it's because they're selling at a loss. <laughs> like, so, and I guess I come at this from somewhat of a biased place, but I... It's like I understand why they're doing it, and they do bring up a lot of really interesting points. I, I wonder where it will go, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see, because it's not the first time that we've seen, you know, publishing-related groups, and especially bookseller advocacy groups, you know, fight back against Amazon mm -hmm. and encourage governmental action and investigation. And this is, um, I guess, specifically to the House Antitrust yes. Subcommittee that's doing that big investigation of you know, capital B, capital T, big tech, uh, that we recently got to see the heads of uh, Apple, Amazon, and Facebook um, on the Hill testifying about various things. Uh, it's, I think this needs to be looked at for many, many reasons, Amazon in general, and then Amazon's place in the world of books and mm -hmm. reading specifically. Uh, and they make great points here that it's not just like the I think the loss leader pricing is the big deal like that Amazon has used books as the loss leader like since the inception of Amazon like they launched yeah. as books only but the intention like the idea was always to get people hooked um, with the books and then they were like oh guess what now you can buy your you know hardware supplies and your kids diapers and whatever else that you need mm -hmm. here and you're hooked into our ecosystem and we will keep using books as a loss leader um it's it is impossible 
for other businesses, as you were saying, to compete with. And we've watched Barnes and Noble run in circles for a decade trying. trying to figure out, yeah, where to make money, where to find higher margins on items because they can't use books as a loss leader. And that's been, you know, the like big game section for a mm-hmm. while. And then like focusing on memberships and then maybe it was going to be the Nook and e-reading. And then maybe we're just going to do smaller boutique kinds of stores with more hand selling and individualized approaches or whatever. Like they're trying, but they're also huge. And now they're owned by a venture capital firm Mm -hmm. (laughs) that like Barnes and Noble has money at least, or has had money for the last decade to try those things and to be able to experiment with, to be able to play around with their margins some in a way that an independent bookstore like cannot. Um, It's, it is a very unlevel playing field. And I would love to see that be addressed. Then other points that are, I think, a bit more it, like really inside baseball or things yeah. having to do with Amazon's control of its supply line um, and Amazon and distribution. Yeah, that one's and also big. The, um, yeah. Go ahead. That, no, I was going to say that one's big. That like one of, you know, it's, it is a little more insider baseball, but the fact that they tie their distribution services to having to purchase like advertising. So mm-hmm. it's like you want to take advantage, but yeah, like it, it this seems this whole thing falls into that category for me that sometimes like a thing feels so big that you're like, oh, like how are we ever going to like, like nothing's ever going to take this down or like make it feel. But it's like, I think so important to actually try mm-hmm. to do something about this because this really does have a really long term ramification. I mean, current ramifications but that are only i think going to continue to grow if we don't thoughtfully analyze this business model yeah and amazon does incentivize authors who publish their books on amazon or self-published authors who are looking to have their books distributed they incentivize you to only distribute on amazon mm-hmm. by um i can't remember what the ratios are but i think it's something like if you only make your book available on Amazon, then the split on revenue is like 70-30. And if you are selling on other sellers and Amazon, it's like 50-50, or it might even be a reverse to 30-70. Like they have it set up where it's basically going to cost you Mm -hmm. to be an author who self-publishes a book and to distribute it anywhere other than Amazon. That's a... Yeah. So you can learn more about these things um, and about the specifics of what these three organizations are asking the House Antitrust Subcommittee to take a look at um, your, let's see, yeah, if you happen to have one of your representatives who serves on that committee, it might be worth a Google. um, If that's something that you want to write a letter or send an email about encouraging them to yeah, investigate. So we'll be, it'll be interesting. This is, I feel very much I don't know. It's 2020. So I'm very much like probably nothing will happen, but but something really should. Yeah. And I think to kind of maybe jump a little bit, but since we have some time, (laughs) I think this is also a really good time to bring up, as I think we've also maybe started to do on some of our podcasts, that often when these conversations about Amazon pop up, we often see some of that like onus flipped on to the authors themselves and hopefully a little bit Mm -hmm. of what you just mentioned will sort of describe or like help contextualize that a little bit it's really easy to look at an author and say like well why would you choose to like publish only on amazon why would you make your content exclusive to amazon whether it's on audible as an audiobook or you know 
And I've seen a lot of those conversations pop up lately, and it's you know rightful to you know analyze them and critique them and criticize them as as you should. But uh, I think this lawsuit in particular, hopefully, will shine a little bit of a light onto the fact that it's not necessarily the author's quote unquote fault. It's that this machine has gotten so big and unchecked in some of its practices that it's like you like you said it almost like costs you to not <laughs> so mm-hmm. let's maybe take a look at how that could change versus always just immediately going to like the author place yeah absolutely like and i think machine is the word that i would use there too that amazon has gotten so big and has strategically made itself so big that it does cost people and businesses to be to disentangle themselves Mm -hmm. and one of the things like the quiet part there that needs to be said out loud more is that you have to be able to afford to make that choice and a lot of authors are struggling um folks that sell books online are struggling like there are used bookstores that are trying to distribute their books not just through their storefronts but also through amazon because that expands their Mm -hmm. user base um and you know folks are mad at them and i get it like i I get it folks are mad at us because we embed amazon links on the site and we've said on this show like we literally would have to lay off three to four of our staff members Mm -hmm. if we were using no affiliate links or any other affiliate links and we don't need to get into the details of that but like you know that's not a choice that we can afford to make as a business or that we're willing to make um when we're responsible for people's livelihoods and we have a business to run um and that's just one example um i think this is a problem that needs to be solved it's a structural problem Mm -hmm. that needs a structural solution and telling readers that they need to make different choices or telling authors that they need to make different choices is really similar to the like we can solve the problems with pollution if everyone would just stop using plastic straws (laughs) you know like that's not gonna do it (laughs) it's like what 15 big companies that are responsible for the vast majority of Mm -hmm. the public weight or the plastic waste that ends up in the oceans like yes use your reusable straw i'm using mine but (laughs) let's or yes and exactly yes and is yeah yeah. (laughs) somebody write a book called that yes and (laughs) it applies to so many things just as soon as we're done, you know, solving books and reading, we can <laughs> take on. <laughs> yes. Coming at you in 2024. Oh, stay tuned. Oh, man. Hopefully we're happier by 2024. <laughs> hopefully. Dear Jesus. <laughs> Sweet baby cheeses, as um, I've been known to say on the Book Riot Slack. We better be. Oh. Well, before we get into our last two stories for the week, which are, I'm delighted to say, a little bit lighter. Yeah. We'll have our last sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Tor Books. So if you are a fan of epic fantasy, if you're a fan of Scott Lynch and or Joe Abercrombie, but you want something a little different, you want a hero who's like a bit of a mess, then The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan is for you in its Academy dropout slash disgraced noble heir Lacan Cordova's life is in shambles. All he's got going for him is one, he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two, a lot of maybe potentially a little too much wine. So they're, you know, those are the positives. 
So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Sophrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to Tor Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be. Right? Right, girl. Like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series, Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, let's go to a weird place and then we'll end on a happy note. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've talked on the show before about the Future Library, which is the, I don't know, like performance mm. art... <laughs> Time capsule, life literary project, yes, experiment, yeah, all the question marks in our voices. It's the thing in Norway <laughs> where authors write a book that will remain unread until 2114 when the books will be opened and printed on a thousand trees that are currently growing outside of Oslo. Um, the latest author to sign on to this project is Ocean Vuong. Uh, really interesting choice. And if anybody is gonna do something, I think fascinating, imagining what people will be reading 94 years from now, <laughs> um, I totally think Vuong is a good pick for this. Um, he joins Margaret Atwood and David Mitchell and Alif Shafak and Han Kong and everyone's favorite Carl Ovnausgaard. Mm-hmm. Um, who are all chosen because of their, quote, outstanding contributions to literature and poetry and for their work's ability to capture the imagination of this and future generations. So the authors write a manuscript of whatever length or genre they choose, and then they make the trek to Nordmarka Forest, which is above Oslo, and that's where the thousand trees were planted in 2014, where they then surrender their manuscripts in a short ceremony that I would love I to watch just, a video Please, of. same. Like what? <laughs> it's like that scene where they put the little baby in Game of Thrones and he becomes the undead. Like, and now I leave my manuscript. Like, is everyone and, wearing robes yeah. <laughs> and holding chalices? You must drink of this sheep's blood <laughs> and spread it on the trees. Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> that went dark real fast. But that's... This premise to me sounds like something from a david mitchell book yeah 
and uh, has always just been endlessly fascinating to me. Like the the description you gave of, I forget how you phrased, they said it, like authors who have a way of imagining, which I think is just a really nice mm-hmm. way of saying like authors who've imagined some of the scariest futures <laughs> ever yes. that may or may not now feel a little close to home. Get get them in on this because yeah, like it's this type of thing. I I can. It's so hard to me to write something that I think of being as like two or three years into the future, like this imagining of something that's mm. 94 years is going to be like, it's obviously too far away for like me to know anything about, but gosh, I would love to see what that turns into. And yeah, this mix of voices, like I'm so glad to see Ocean Wong in there too. It, it, the possibilities there. I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot. Mm-hmm. And we'll never exactly. know. It seems like I'm never we'll, going to know. We'll, we're going to be the most dead by then. Like when, this first came out, I think we that Margaret Atwood was the first story that we yeah. heard about this. I remember talking with Jeff about it and being like, like, my questions were all logistical, yeah. you know, like, how are they even going to be sure that in 2114, someone is going to find They're these like, and like, <laughs> dig, you know, <laughs> these people right? Like, this is this a project huge, weird, <laughs> right? Like, it's a huge vote of confidence in people 100 years out. And now in like in 2020 it feels like this is very optimistic in a different kind of way like you think the world is still gonna be here in 94 years yeah i always and uh, yeah go ahead yeah and you know vuong talking about why he decided to participate says (laughs) that so many of our problems have to do with this yolo approach you only live once use all the resources forget about the next generation destroy the world to get what you want and this project is antithetical to that and then this next part is really interesting where he says it's less egotistical than regular publishing too because so much of publishing is about seeing your name in the world but this is the opposite putting the future ghost of you forward which such an interesting and I think like really lovely way to think about it it is lovely I wish that's my I really do like I'm being kind of junky about it but I really do think that it is like it's really interesting like I love the idea of it it's just sort of a bummer to me that the project was projected the project was projected yeah I mean real real articulate today but (laughs) that yeah that it was put so far into the future that in theory nobody alive or you know con- like conscious if you will of, of reading and mm. stuff is in theory going to get to enjoy it like in th- you know I would love for the future generations to still be appreciating the works of Margaret Atwood and Ocean Vuong and David Mitchell and I just I guess since you're introducing it in my timeline there's a piece of me that like would really love to see how yeah. that pans out but I'm going to be like I mean, I will be dead. It's possible my, you know, children's nephew, whatever, they'll be like, this is so <laughs> far out. 2114? Is that when happiness will return? Like, <laughs> 2114 really sounds like the future. It's so and, far. Yeah, I would love to see somebody do this, like, right on a, on a like, 25 or 40 yeah. year timeline where it's reasonable to think that some people who read that author Mm -hmm. originally um, are going to be around to be like, oh, right, you know, I remember on Earth we're briefly gorgeous. And I loved that when I was in my 30s and now I'm an old lady and they're digging up Ocean Vuong's book. Versus like my kids, kids generation. I don't have kids, but you know, whoever and being like, you know, like (laughs) the dust off the trees. Like who's Margaret Atwood? I mean, again, I hope her work persists and it's fine. It's just that seems so far away to me that I don't have the brain space to know what that. And like you said, like who who is, I guess, holding up the who's in charge? Who's 
to be like, yep, still doing this, guys. Like, I, uh, <laughs> I have questions. Yeah. If you're wondering, as long as travel permits, Ocean Vuong will be yeah. traveling to Norway for the handover ceremony sometime in early September. Um, I don't know if somehow you're listening to this and you're involved in the future library. Like, please tell us please. what the handover ceremony looks like. I hope it's not super boring. It's like, sign here. <laughs> It's just a contract with a bunch of those little like flag stickies. Yep, sign here, sign here, sign here. Thanks. Let's have some. I really yeah. need it to be more special velvet, than velvet that. hoods, total the whole like shebang. Mm-hmm. I, I concur. Yeah, candles, maybe some chanting. It needs to be sufficiently weird. It has to be. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. It does my heart good that. People are like, yeah, someone's going to follow up on this in 94 years. Yeah, I hope I don't sound super jaded. It's like, I really do want it to be a thing. I'm just selfish and would like to see it. That's the moral of my story. (laughs) All of these things can be true. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Me too. I want to read it. Um, Do you want to tell us about our hero of the week? The uh, young lady making the VS people look real uh, underachiever (laughs) compared to Mm -hmm. her yes uh my last name is spelled (laughs) differently than hers but if you don't know i I think have you all made her hero of the week before right she's been the hero of the week several times right so marley Diaz, who is this just stunning young lady who is now oh my gosh how old is she now uh, I think she's 15, about 15. I think. Yeah. So she has been on here, but you know, we've, we've called her hero of the week. She's the founder of a thousand black girl books. And she, she just does so much good work to like actually put books into the hands of people who, who don't have like as much access to them and to tell, you know, black stories to, to celebrate and uplift these stories. And so now she has, she's, she's executive producing. I don't know that I knew what executive producing (laughs) meant when I was 15, but you know, go off. I'm positive I didn't. She's producing this 12 episode series on Netflix that's going to be called Bookmarks Celebrating Black Voices. And she has this like powerhouse group of people participating there is essentially she's got like this awesome cast of black celebrities and artists who are going to be reading children's books by black authors that highlight the black experience and when i say powerhouse i am not looking at my notes but i want to say it was like karamo brown misty copeland marcy martin mm-hmm. who i am like a ridiculously obsessed with uh lupita nyongo kendrick sampson call me uh jill scott jacqueline woodson i think and then they're all i mean the yep. books that they're reading are Everything from um, Let's Talk About Race to I Love My Hair. I think Anti-Racist Baby is in there. The Day You Begin. Mm-hmm. Like this incredible... And I'm pretty sure this is just the beginning. Like I don't I don't think that she's announced like the full cast and, and books. Or maybe she has now that I'm looking at how many titles there are. But talk about Hero of the Week. Like you are putting executive producer on your resume at the ripe old age of 15. And just thinking yeah. about the world in ways that I can fully admit I was not at her age. You know, she's she's taking reading and that kind of social justice tack into everything she does and putting it into mm-hmm. this delightful format that I'm so glad Netflix is giving, you know, a space for. Like, this girl is... Talk about, like, making a splash. She's going to be around for a while, and I, I just cannot wait to see what she keeps doing, and I will absolutely be watching this little series. Yes. Yeah, it starts September 1st. Mm -hmm. Episodes are going to be about five minutes long. So, you know, sit your kiddos down. That's not too long. And 
Also, Marley, wherever your parents are, please tell them thank yeah, you. Yeah, I've got my little <laughs> clappy for you. Like, ooh. like, good job, parents of Marley. I also, by the way, remember that Tiffany Haddish is one of the people, and I just really want her to read me a story. Like, really, really. Yes. Want. I just love her. Like, her narration of her own audiobook was, like, pretty funny. Like, she's just such a personality. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. She is. There was a great. Um, I don't know if you've watched the David Letterman interview series on Netflix. Yes. Where he. Yeah. And there's a great one with her. Yep, <laughs> just like just David it. Letterman trying to make sense of Tiffany Haddish yeah. is amazing. <laughs> She's so great. Uh, this should be really fantastic. She's such a hero. It yeah. I'm really looking forward to watching it. It'll just be. I'm, I have this idea that these are going to be like little five minute things I do, like with my coffee. Yeah. You know, when there's an episode and just like feel for five minutes like the kids are all right and Marley is going to be okay. She's more than okay. She's definitely going to be more than okay. Be interesting to see like if is Marley. Marley better go into publishing, right? Like Marley's going to have a book job. I hope so. She'd be great at it. We need her. And well, yeah. that's our show. We've done it. Vanessa. We made it. I hope I we... lived up to Jeff's shoes with my discussions of <laughs> mushrooms and stuff. We piloted the wheels of this yep. ship. It's good. And I'm still, oh wow. The podcast will be dropping back into your ears with the bonus episode on Wednesday, the 26th. You can hear me and Jeff talk about some of our favorite books that we've been reading lately uh, and then the one for next week i believe is going to be a look at the big books of fall so if Oof. you have a big book of fall that you're anticipating or you would like to recommend that we consider we usually do a list of about 10 you can shoot that to us at podcast at bookriot.com thoughts about bob woodward and michael cohen and what stephanie meyer should write her next two twilight books about um are also welcome at podcast at bookriot.com or whatever else you need to send us so mushrooms hope you all have a good week mushrooms <laughs> or not on that i'll note. see myself out <laughs> thanks for hanging with me Vanessa. yeah it was fun thanks so much and y'all all hang in there we'll talk to you next week <laughs>